Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Wednesday morning. We welcome you, as always, to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10A to noon Eastern time. Check us out on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We also stream every day live on Facebook on the Chatterbox Sports page. And you can always find us in podcast form. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. And you are dialed in. Last night at the big ballpark, we saw what we saw a lot last season. And I'm afraid to tell you, boys and girls, we're going to see it a lot more this year. And that is a bullpen implosion. Five relievers combined to allow a staggering 10 runs, 12 hits, three walks in just three-plus innings. And that was behind starter Luis Sessa en route to a 12-5 loss to the Chicago Cubs. That snaps a very modest three-game win streak since opening day for the home team. Sessa led in this game 3-1. We were in the sixth inning. One out. Cubby gets a base hit. Sessa's 30 years old. This guy has pitched all over the globe. Okay, Venezuelan guy, I mean, he's pitched everywhere, right? This guy's, you know, 80 pitches in the game. He's thrown 80 pitches in the game. Now, granted, okay, granted, there had been some hard contact against him. He got out of a big jam in the first inning, allowed only one run, got out of a big jam in the fifth inning. So a lot of times managers, you know, by the book, they'll go by that adage that, you know, you've already been in a couple of jams. We're not going to allow you to get into a third jam. But this was one on and one out. And out comes... Manager David Bell. You know what that means? Bring in the bullpen. Okay? That means it's... When that gate opens down there for the Reds, not good. Not good. I mean, you've got guys down in that bullpen, the way this bullpen was assembled, and this is nothing personal against any of them. God bless them all for perseverance Guys that waited till they were 32 and 33 years old to get to the big leagues for the first time. Guy who got to the big leagues in 2017, hadn't been back since. But Sessa had thrown 80 pitches in the game. He had already gotten an out. He's leading 3-1. to one. He allows a hit. Bring in the bullpen. Let's give them the ball. I tell you, I... Mm, okay. We're only, uh, what, five games into the season? I'm not going to allow myself to get worked up on this stuff. But people who say managers don't make a difference in a game, they are out of their minds. It's little things, little things. Anyway, series is even at one game apiece. Casey Paul, good morning, man. Good morning, Tom. I don't mean to walk in all fired up today, but this stuff makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. And you may disagree with me on certain things with baseball. That's one of the beauties of the sport. In fact, it is without a doubt the best sport to have debates on certain things that are done over the course of a game. It's the best. It's better than football. It's better than basketball. It's better than any of them. Whether it's 
you know, should you butt? And the analytics crowd out there, no, never butt. Okay, fine. That's your opinion. I, I'm allowed to have mine without you calling me bad names. But that's what the analytics crowd does. They just call you bad names if you don't agree with them. They're like your friends in the Democratic Party. You don't agree with them, cancel out. <laughs> so, you know, you get into this whole thing, but I'm telling you right now, it's little things. Little things. The Reds were lucky to win the night before because they couldn't use Alexis Diaz because he had been used the two days prior when they didn't need to use him but one of those two days. They were lucky to win the night before. So now we come to the rubber game. Series tied at one game apiece. 12-40 first pitch today. I understand Trace Fowler, Reed might be going down there today. It's a big-time game today. Good pitching matchup. Hunter Green start number two of the year. And the Cubbies have their ace, Marcus Stroman, getting the ball. How about Cardinal manager Carlos Marmol? He rips into his own player, Tyler O'Neill after the game last night for what he thought was sloppy base running and a lack of hustle. When trying to score from second base on a line drive single to right, he was thrown out of the plate by a mile. 4-1 loss to Atlanta. And O'Neill said, look, I disagree with him, but I've got to be better. O'Neill handled it like a man. The Cardinals move on. They are 2-3 and three to start the year. The Braves are 4-1. and one. The Reds this time next week will be in Atlanta. Have you ever heard of Kyle Schwarber? Anybody ever heard of him? Who? Kyle Schwarber, Middletown, Ohio guy. Mm. Where? So, sounds a little familiar. He's a Middletown middie. Mm. Sounds familiar. Didn't know if any of you knew that. Grew up just up the road. Middletown, Ohio. A middie. Schwarber club is 200th career home run last night. Good for him. As uh, his team, the defending National League champion, Philadelphia Phillies, finally get their first one of the season 4-1. Over the New York Yankees. Yes. Tom, at what point did you realize that that was a thing? Well, I don't know if we, I was I never on ever... my computer and on Twitter or any of that social media kind of stuff. Chris Welsh had it on all the time. So then once it got to a point where people were, were, were bringing this up, right? Whether they were having fun with it or whether they got tired of hearing it, one or the other, or a combination of the two. Yeah. But at that point, you got to keep doing it. Oh, well, it was great. Linebacker just... for Middletown. <laughs> Try to chase around Braxton Miller. Decided I better play baseball. <laughs> it was just clear that at some point it transitioned from you saying it earnestly to realizing that everybody realized you were saying it because you said it every time and it was great. Every was great. single time, and I will continue to bring it up every single time. And you know what? I hope we say it a lot because I like Schwarber and he's had an outstanding career. He really has. He's had an excellent career. The Brewers, boy, you talk about a team rolling now. And a team that's not rolling, the New York Mets. Milwaukee clubs back-to-back-to-back to back to back home runs off future Hall of Famer Max Scherzer. They got six shutout innings from Wade Miley. Remember him? Let him walk out the door. Reds did, right? Solid veteran guy. 9 nothing Brewers over Buck Showalter's New York Mets. The Brewers have won the first two games of that series by a combined score of 19 to nothing. 10-9 two nights ago, 9-zip last night. Brew Crew 4-1 to start the year sitting atop the division. Now, Padres star Manny Machado thought he had called timeout as the pitch clock's winding down yesterday. The home plate umpire disagreed, called Machado out on strikes due to a pitch clock violation. 
Machado argued and was thrown out of the game. Padres lose 8-6 to Arizona. NFL news, troubling story. Longtime league executive Terry McDonough was accused and has accused Arizona Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell of gross misconduct, cheating, discrimination, and harassment in an arbitration claim filed with the commissioner's office yesterday, among many claims. McDonough says that Bidwell, the owner, made him and former head coach Steve Wilkes use burner phones to communicate with then-suspended general manager Steve Keim during training camp in 2018. The Cardinals have strongly denied these allegations. Tiger Woods will play the first two rounds of his 25th anniversary at the Masters starting tomorrow. He'll be paired up with Victor Hovland and Xander Shoffley. The five-times Masters champ tees off at 10-18 tomorrow, 124 Friday. Now, Rory McIlroy, he and Woods are really good friends. They played a practice round yesterday. And remember Paul Doherty said yesterday about the Masters, you don't realize on TV how hilly it is, right? He says it's extremely hilly, very tough to walk. And that's exactly what McElroy said yesterday when asked if Woods could win the tournament. He said right now he's making every shot known to man. But his severely damaged leg will be challenged trying to walk that course over the next four days if he makes a cut. By the way, 11-time pro champ Steve Flesh from Northern Kentucky will join us tomorrow here on Off the Bench to preview the Masters. All right. Is the Hall of Famer ready to go, or is he having Wi-Fi issues? No, or he's anything ready. going on there? He's ready. He's I'm good. Right. He's good. Yeah. Well, good morning, Marty Brenneman. How are good. you today? I'm well, Tom. How are you and Casey? And uh, Paul is there, and he's not whoever the hell else is there. Hello to them. <laughs> I'm here, Marty. How are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Fantastic. Well, Paul is in a deep state of depression, Dad, because he's one of those guys that stays up till 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning every night over the last four, five, six months For watching Montana State and watching Cal State, Fullerton, uh, Hawaii, whoever else is on that late at night in college basketball. Now it's all over. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, he has no reason to stay up late now, but he's not ready to go to sleep. He's in a real quandary is what he's at. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, Marty. No, but I got news for you, Paul. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't do that. I'm, I'm not that passionate about watching Montana State, for God's sake. <laughs> but, but I understand exactly where you are mentally, uh, as far as if, uh, you know, the final four have come and gone and we've got a national champion in UConn. And now there's no reason to look forward to a weekend other than this weekend because the Masters Golf Tournament's on. And the par three uh, contest is at noon today, which is really a lot of uh, fun to watch. But I understand exactly where you are, pal, believe me. All right, listen, we were talking in the uh, – I was talking in the open about um... – you know, we can sit around, and you know better. You've forgotten more about it than most of us know because of your 47 years in the booth uh, at the big league level. And, you know, look, you, you could pick a part in any sport, but in this case, baseball. You could pick apart decisions that, that coaches, head coaches, managers make, whatever the case may be. I'm sitting there uh, watching last night. Reds are up 3-1, to one, uh, and I know a lot of people have said that Luis Sessa had only pitched two innings in the World Baseball Classic and all that kind of stuff, right? 
But the bottom line is the Reds know if there is one severe weakness on this team, it is that bullpen. And it's been a little bit of a mirage here in the first four games sure of the is. year. Um, and yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more games to come like we saw last night. Maybe not, you know, 10 runs in three innings, but uh, nonetheless, I just sit there and I say to myself, you know, he gets a first out, Sessa does in the six. You got a three to one lead. Um, and I don't want to throw you on a spot here, uh, you know, because I know you still work with a team. So maybe I shouldn't even go down this road. But I just sit no, there and I fine. say to you myself, why in the world, why in the world after giving up a base hit in the sixth inning with 80 pitches and everybody on the chat today, oh, Sessa was ready to implode and all. Maybe he was. But I know one thing. He had thrown the ball pretty effectively through those first five and a third innings. And knowing what I have down in that bullpen, when that gate opens, I'm just going to have a hard time taking Sessa out of that game last night. Tom, you had the same reaction that I did, quite honestly. Um, I don't care how, how much David Bell talks publicly about an improved bullpen and how much he loves them and they, he has their back and blah, blah, blah. Deep down inside, he's got to know that that – aspect of his ball club is a weakness to be honest with you i haven't seen any difference in the way he manages this year and, and i know it's a small sample and I, I qualify what i say because i say that you're only talking about five games but he still seems to me to have a quick hook uh every time there's uh, even the question of going to the bullpen and if you know deep down in, uh, in the darkest of night despite what you might say publicly that you have problems down there, then maybe try going another in, another hitter or two or three with the guy you've got out there and give him a chance to prove to you, I can get out of a tough jam, or you know what, I can't. And, and at that point, then you operate a little bit differently. But I, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, you know, there's been the talk over the last three or four years that by the time the middle of August rolls around, your bullpen is shot. And if you continue to go to it in the manner in which you're going to it right now, you're going to face the same situation come August and September of 2023. You know, if this was a young guy, and, and, and this has been a hot topic of conversation around baseball for really about a decade and a half now since they started really paying attention to how many pitches guys are throwing in minor league games, rarely ever letting guys get to 100 pitches. If this is Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo or Ashcraft, a young guy, Overton, uh, who maybe is coming back from an injury, something along those lines, and you want to get him out of there at 80 pitches, okay, I get it. But Sessa, I don't know, and maybe he'll be a huge part of their future. I don't know. He's 30 years old. Um, he, he, By all appearances, he's got a rubber arm. And, and I'm just sitting there saying to myself, you know, if there's one guy in this starting rotation, the only guy, arguably, in this starting rotation, that I'm going to say, all right, you know, let, let's take a flyer on another hitter and just see what happens here. He he would be the guy that I'd at least give him a chance. Well, I, you know, in a, in a more expansive uh, reply to a subject we're talking about, or uh, basically pitching, I, I think, I, you know, this club has a problem in their bullpen. This problem also, for me, has a problem in their rotation. And I said that before the first pitch was thrown by Hunter Green last week. You're solid as a rock in the in the first three, unless something untoward happens that none of us can anticipate. But with Connor Overton and with Luis Sessa, 
I think you have a problem. Overton did not pitch well at all in spring training. Sessa was with the WBC mm-hmm. and then back. Um, I, I just think that there are certain situations where you have to give whoever might be out there a chance with another hitter or so. Um, uh, he might have the quickest hook of anybody I've ever seen. Now, he will say uh, he could contradict himself if he if he took issue with this the statements I've made by saying that's not the case at all. And and I would say to you, well, if it's not the case at all that, that you don't have problems in your rotation, why are you so quick to go down there when when the slightest semblance of a rally is being uh, is underway with the team that you're facing? I, I guess, uh, again, it's a small sample and probably it, maybe it's not fair to talk about, but I just see similar things going on right now. And, and granted, the bullpen is without Lucas Sims and it's without TJ Antone. I think when those two guys come back, you will see some improvement. Yeah. But uh, right now they're dealing with a hand that's not going to be a winner more often than not in a close ball game. Um, there are some positives, obviously, when you win three of your first four uh, right out of the gate. Um, this Vossler guy, I mean, you know, all of a sudden it's three home runs. I, I mean, it's a great story. He was drafted, you know, originally by the Cubs. He was going around through their minor league system for years and years and years, finally bounced around a couple of other teams, makes his debut as a giant, whatever the case may be. But at least it's something uh, for the fans to get excited about and for this young man to be excited about. Well, I'm not only excited about him. I'm excited about a bunch of the young kids that they, that are position players with Friedel and with Fraley and uh, with Spencer Steer at third and with Bossler filling in at first base until Votto gets back with uh, a very impressive start by, uh, by Jonathan India. And I'll tell you another guy. Uh, with all due respect to Jose Barrero, I haven't seen a whole lot from him that would make me think that he's found the key to being a successful hitter or a good enough hitter to play every day. But the job that uh, the kids got at uh, Kevin Newman, who's filled in yep. a shortstop, I think he's been outstanding. Uh, I think the team from a position player standpoint and the aggressiveness that they've shown on the field, I've been very impressed with. I think they're a fun group of guys to watch play. In Vossler's case, it's going to be kind of a sad ending, I think, for him because, um, you know, I'm, I, I got a feeling if he continues to swing the bat, they're going to find a way to keep him. And then having said that, if they're going to give him enough at-bats uh, to make it worthwhile for the kid personally, uh, you know, the, the, with the DH, that gives you a, an alternative or an option, obviously. Uh, but I've been very impressed with him. But again, I've been impressed with a lot of these young men that are playing and, and playing very, very well as far as the position players are concerned. You know, Lodolo and Green get get all the headlines, and, and rightfully so. I mean, they're both number one picks, um, and uh, Green out of high school, and, of course, Lodolo out of TCU in college. Well, you watch Ashcraft, and, you know, we saw a little bit of him last year. He'd have his ups and downs like a lot of Young's pitchers, but – but, look, I know there are, there are other guys around the big leagues that have had very good first starts to the year. I'm not so sure anybody was better than Ashcraft was in his first start. No question about that. Um, in fact, it's interesting to note, and I, I wish I'd have written the name down when I read it um, because I don't remember. It, it was a tweet that was written by a young man who said he was a videographer for Channel 5 WLWT. 
and he was down stationed somewhere around the home plate end of the Pittsburgh Pirate dugout, and he wrote that he overheard one of the Pirate players say to the Pittsburgh manager, I don't think we'll face three better players in a row the entire season than the three we've seen so far, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft. Um, that's pretty impressive. Uh, but at the same time, those three kids are impressive. I still maintain right now today as we talk, and I said this two weeks ago, Nick Lodolo is the best all-around starting pitcher they have. But Graham Ashcraft, based on one start, has shown that he can follow up what he did in 2022 this season. He's been very impressive. And I think it's, it's, it, it builds a sense of optimism to know that, uh, you know, at least uh, from a rotational standpoint, you're three-fifths home uh, with those three kids. And all of them are young and all of them are going to be, be around for a long time if they stay healthy. And they are very, very impressive. But nobody, I agree with you, among the three starts that those kids have had, individually speaking, one each, uh, none of the other two have been nearly as impressive as Ashcraft was. Um, I want to shift gears really quickly because this is a topic you and I have spoken about. I've heard you talk a lot about it when you were announcing games and ever since then and, and off the air and all that other kind of thing. About a day and age in which we live in, uh, it seems like baseball maybe more than some others, but I think it's fair to say it's, it's, it's now made its way into all sports, where rarely, from a public standpoint, will a head coach or a manager – uh, rip one of his own players. Uh, I had said Carlos Marmol earlier. That's a former pitcher for, for the Cubs. Oliver Marmol <laughs> uh, is the manager for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know if you saw the play. Uh, base hit to right field. Tyler O'Neill's at second base. Doesn't get a great jump. Sort of jogs around third like he's easily going to score. He's thrown out at home by 10 feet. Marmol just lays into him after the game, says it's unacceptable, that's not the way we play, and it's not the way we're going to play. But the fact that he said it publicly rather than just privately, those are rare moments indeed in this day and age. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan, Marmol fan, uh, because um, I believe in public humiliation. I believe that. I believe that that's one of the things that will – get the attention of a player, whether he is a veteran or whether he's a youngster, and will stay with him his entire career. Like the time that um, Bobby Cox called timeout in a game at Shea Stadium and walked to the outfield and brought Andrew Jones back with him because he thought he had loafed on a play. I have no problem at all with that. I think everybody wants to, if you're a manager, you want to kiss some every player's ass on your ball club. Um, and I think what Marmol did is one of the big reasons, besides incredible talent, I think that that team has a great, a good talent, is why that team is picked to finish high up in the standings or win a division every year. I give him a lot of credit, and I guarantee you that kid will remember that comment from the rest of his career, may end up being a Hall of Fame career, but he will never forget it, and he will never make that mistake again. All right, um, I know we're only a weekend, and there's the uh, reactions and overreactions and all that kind of thing. But look, the team that made all the headlines during the offseason, the New York Mets, um, I think it was fair to wonder, even though these are huge name guys, both future Hall of Famers in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, 
Um, but look, they're both knocking on the door at 40 years old. Okay, and, and Verlander's already hurt. He's not in the rotation. Scherzer gets lit up last night uh, by the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, yeah. The Brewers outscore them the first two games of the series with one more to go today, 19 to nothing. Um, you know New York. I mean, I can promise you without going to the headlines in the New York papers, and you read them all the time on a daily basis, I can guarantee I you they're screaming trouble in River City right now. Yeah, because they overreact. We know that, that there's yeah. a battle for readership in New York when you've got the Post and the Daily News and uh, the New York Times and Newsday out on Long Island. Uh, so that's a that's that's a, a, a culture in and unto itself, uh, unlike anywhere else in the country. But I guarantee you, uh, they, they're raising cane right now about what's going on up there. And, you know, the other part of it is, Tom, uh, it, and you can't argue with the track records of uh, – a Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander or some of the other great pitchers in baseball. Uh, and people oftentimes forget the age factor. And all of a sudden, in a general sort of way, when you go out and do what Steve Cohen's done, and that's spend a lot of money, and this may not be the case. In two weeks, we may talk about how great they are. There's an element in baseball for me, and I've often said it, unlike any other sport, by virtue of the fact that you play virtually every day except for off days here and there. Chemistry is, to me, the most important thing as it relates to a sport in baseball than any other sport. And you can bring the greatest players of the, in the world to come together, and there is something still missing because they don't gel as a team. I can use a North Carolina Tar Heel basketball team as a prime example of that. They had great talent. They couldn't beat me and you and Paul and Casey and – drag some guy in off the street. Um, and I think that they, you, you certainly have to consider it as to whether or not uh, they have a chemistry problem there. And again, they may not. Uh, I, I think the one big advantage they've got is a guy managing them. Yeah. Because I think he's one of the great managers in baseball and maybe at the end of the day is going to go down as one of the great managers in, in the history of the game at Buck Showalter. Um, but I naturally, they have a reason to complain uh, up there without even considering the fact they played five or six games. Again, like I said, 14 days from now, they could have go, they could go on a, uh, you know, an 11 wins and 12 yeah. games, and all of a sudden this conversation means absolutely nothing. But I think chemistry is very important. All right. Well, always great having you with us. Uh, I will see you, I assume, later tonight. Is that correct? Yeah, if the weather, uh, if the weather cooperates, the weather is horrible. But, yeah, if, that, if they cooperate, we'll be there. All right. We'll be watching the mighty Marymount Warriors, five-time state champions. Exactly. school eight times their size in the Milford Eagles. Well, All right. All right, pal. I'll see you later. Have a good day. Good talking with you. All see right. you, boys. See you, Marty. Hey, by Bye. the way, uh, our buddy Nick Kirby uh, has just uh, told us, and of course he's a big part of us here on Chatterbox Sports, uh, that uh, Kunal has been sent out. Where is it, Nick? I'm trying to find where you were. We appreciate uh, you. Up uh, a little bit. Kevin Hergert uh, has been brought up. Kunal sent down to the minor leagues. Is it, you know, I mean, Kunal, they're, they're using him virtually every day. Uh, Hergert was supposed to start for Louisville tonight. So he should be able to give them some length in the bullpen should they need it. Uh, and, and look, he had pretty good numbers last year, AAA for, um, in the Rays organization. So, um, Kirby? Uh, we thank you, Nick Kirby, we thank you so much for uh, chiming in.
That's good stuff. And we thank the Hall of Famer for joining us today. Saying that the three of us, him and one other guy off the street, could beat his beloved Tar Heels. Have you read that article in The Athletic? No. It is basically a documentary in word form of what happened this year to the North Carolina men's basketball team. Yeah, I saw the article, but I haven't had time to read it. I mean, they got parents in there, quotes from them. Um, and, and, and you know what? They were fair. Um, a number of the parents were fair. I mean, they're coming at it clearly from a biased opinion as it pertains to each of their individual sons. Um, but um, it, it, it was an interesting story. Uh, going back to last year when they made that, really nobody saw it coming, that run to the title game. Uh, and then what happened this year when they were a preseason number one team and didn't even make the NCAA tournament. Uh, we have Dan Plesak coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, just some of the comments from the chat. Uh, Everett wanted me to ask Marty his take on the recent news of Harry Potter movies being remade into a seven-season TV show on HBO. <laughs> yeah. That's a thing. Yeah, I did see that it was going to be made into a show. I didn't see that it was seven seasons on HBO, but I did see that it was going to be made into a show. I suppose the two of you will watch that, right? Well, here's the question. Do they have all the same actors? Because National Treasure is coming out with a show, too, but that doesn't mean anything because Nick Cage isn't in it. The whole movie, the whole franchise is built around Nick Cage, and he's not going to be in the show, so it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to watch that. Well, not to be depressing, but a lot of the, the staples of Harry Potter have passed away and or... Yeah. I'm assuming on. it's an all-new cast. Uh, Everett says seven books equals seven seasons. I don't know anything about it. You guys are the experts. I like the idea of it. I mean, I've, I've watched Harry Potter. I just watched the, the second one, part two of the seventh movie. I mean, that's on, like, weekly. It's on a, some sort of a channel, whether it's sci-fi or something else. But Well, I imagine each episode, if it's on HBO, it's like an hour long more than likely or like 45 minutes long and there's honestly a lot of content in the books that is not like fleshed out or you know it's not yeah like there's not true. there's a lot of details um omitted from from the books from the movies to the movies joshua morgan makes a good point about 007 transferring through we'll see who they pick for the next one, for the next James Bond, whoever the next James Bond is. Boy, I tell you. They got a big decision to that's make. That's a big decision, and I just hope they don't go woke on the thing. I mean, James Bond is James Bond. There's a reason why those movies are just so popular. Daniel Craig was an incredible actor. He did a great job. I mean, he was – Sean Connery was good. Why is Craig leaving? Money? He, no, he was just done. I mean, he's done it for 15 years. He'd made five movies. So what? Sean Connery made about 15 in 15 years. You don't want to... It's a real man. You got to give guys time off now. Maybe it's more <laughs> or less... It's the truth. It's well, the truth. Yeah. Connery's out there busting his tail making movies. What's Craig doing? I think well, he just doesn't want to be known as just James Bond. Like, yeah. I think that's That's what, fair. Well, Have you seen fair. Knives Out? Seen what? Knives Out. No. What is it? It's a, it's a Daniel Craig movie. It is one of my favorite movies in the last... It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a mystery, It's, it's right? a mystery movie. 
Go watch, go watch it, Tom. Knives Out. It's with Daniel Craig. Okay, I, will def- I, I tell you the one movie I love that he was in that I, I mean, if I'm remembering right now, but I, I did not watch this movie for years after it came out just because I, I couldn't find the time here or there, whatever was going on. But the, what was it? The name of the movie, the spider thing. What was that? What? The, 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 the spider woman or whatever it was where, where, where Craig was working with this girl and she was a troubled youth girl and there was a murder and oh, the tattoo oh, dragon yes. thing, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girl with the dragon tattoo. tattoo. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, He yeah, was yeah. in that, right? Yeah. Was that him? Was that, was that a Daniel Craig Girl movie? with a dragon tattoo, right? Oh, God, that yeah, was so long ago. I know it was, but that was really 2009, good. I think. Yeah, that was really yeah. good, though. That yeah, good. that was. That was an early Daniel Craig, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zachary says, the new James Bond is going to be Joe Biden. <laughs> that is priceless. Yeah, that was a big time movie. That was a really yeah. The that's been what fourteen. Yeah, it has been. Did they years? make another one? They had another one, like a sequel to that, yeah, or at a, least a, a book, right? A couple years later, that some, yeah, something came out. I don't know. I don't think it was a sequel. I think there was only the one movie. It's a I think. prequel then, maybe. I don't know. I don't know enough about that movie in particular to to comment. Yeah, but like Reed points out, Daniel Craig's. 14 years older than Sean Connery was when Connery stopped doing it. Plus, I think it's it takes a little more out of you to be James Bond now than back then. There's no doubt. As far as, There's no doubt. one, the public attention, and two, the athleticism in the movie That's and, right. and everything. I mean, it takes a lot to do the type of movies that James Bond makes right now. But um, Do you think yeah. there'll be a petition for it? Because I know who I'd put my right, right in a name for for James Bond. You know who I'd pick? Who? Um, it's a guy named Tom Brenneman. Ooh. How would you do on James Believe Bond? Believe me, Tom? I would be a big league James Bond. <laughs> Physically, maybe come up a little short. But, uh, yeah, put uh, me in. Tom, I Put do. me in. My wife it's may not like the, me as James Bond. It's all about the look. Well, I don't know if I got the look. I've never seen James Bond with gray hair. He's got to be a young or a younger fit Kind of, you know. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't make the cut. Uh, Everett says, Daniel Craig's run was great. Time to move on. Um, Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale. Would, he, Solid. He would be a really good one. Solid. That's yeah. a good suggestion by Zachary. Solid. Okay. Uh, Tom, yes. I, I do have something I want to share. And I Please. Told, I told Casey and Trace this. Oh, here it comes. I got a phone call a couple days ago. Sean Miller wants to come on the show. <laughs> Not quite. I, uh, a friend of mine called me and he said, Paul, had somebody back out. Want to go to the Masters on Friday? I said, excuse me? I said, are you being, are you being real here? Or are you pulling my leg? So I had to put in another phone call, make sure he wasn't pulling my leg, and he's not. So I'm going down to the Masters Are you Friday. really? Yeah, I'm flying 545 Friday morning. I'll be back on Saturday. So are you going through Atlanta and then driving? Is that what you're doing? I, I honestly haven't, I haven't figured any – I haven't okay. asked one detail yet. I don't really know anything besides the fact that I have a ticket. How I, cool is I'm that? I'm thrilled. I don't know any – I don't know, like, anything going on. Who else is, you know, whatever. Where does this friend, friend live here in town? Or? Yeah, it's a, it's a Cincinnati guy. Okay. Yeah. So he just said he had a spare ticket. and That is unbelievable. Whoever he was taking can't go. So. That is big time. Now, the reason I didn't get my hopes up right away is because the weather was so bad, and I was wondering if it was going to happen. But 
it is uh it looks like it's going to happen. It looks like you're being referred to already in the chat once again as <laughs> Big League Paul. I, I lucked into this. I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm Dude, not. Hey, listen. You didn't walk in anything. You get this opportunity. You had to share that with us here on Off the Bench. You know, I'd love to be able to call you. You know, uh, and and you know, you said you weren't going till Friday. I, you know, if you were going tomorrow, we'd try to catch you. You know, Thursday morning, you yeah. rolling out of the rack, all that kind of thing down in uh, Augusta, Georgia. Are you spending the night, or are you turning right back around and coming home? I. Uh, I think I think we're spending the night. I think I think we're coming back Saturday. I think so. I still I'll be honest. I haven't. He's uh, he's been down there this week, and you can't have your phones. Like obviously, you can't have your phone on the course. And I've been. We've had baseball, and we've had other stuff. So I haven't really talked to him at all since he asked me about it. Um, what so, do you mean you haven't talked to him at well, all? He's, he's been, well, he's been. What do you mean? He's been there all week. He's he's. Oh, been he's there. already down there. He's he's already down there. He's so, right. he's somebody. He's one of those guys that goes like every year. Okay. He's, he's a he's a big league operator, as they say. With, well, with everybody's the calling you big league operator. So, BLP. That's your new nickname. Yeah. Big league Paul. So big league Paul. But you can't take your phone on the course. So I haven't really talked to him to iron anything out yet. But okay. So we'll we, we'll see. So we definitely can't. Get you, like a call you in. While I mean, it would it wouldn't really be worth it because I think. I I think I I will not have my phone by the time the show starts on Friday. No, we're we're we'll not gonna in, buy. No, 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 no. So, no, we're not gonna. We're not I, gonna I bother you yeah, down there. I, I no chance. We're so. leaving you be. Uh, no phones on the grounds. Uh, as you know, you're not allowed to bring it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Into the Masters. So uh, you are living, as we talked about with Paul Doherty yesterday. I mean, this is bucket list stuff now. I mean, I'm, here you are at what? 19? My age? Yeah, 19, 20. 18, yeah. And already bucket list. Check. <laughs> Here's one I'm in there, right? I've been applying for years. Yeah, my, my roommate went in college. He went back in like 2013, 2014, went to a practice round. Uh, he's a big golfer. And so we were talking about it um, last night and asked him there was anything to to get or bring back so i'll take a venmo order if anybody wants a polo aj says make sure you meet john daly at the augusta hooters <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see I'm, I'm excited for a full report here as they say on on monday yes indeed. i hope i'm i'm really hope the weather the weather report looks awful terrible so i'm really hoping that they get, that we get to play because i mean you mentioned tiger not teeing off till one so Friday, yeah, on Friday, and the the weather is supposed to be awful by two o'clock. So we're hoping. Well, you know what? Even if you just walk around, have a beer, even if there's nobody playing golf, just lay down on the ground, and start sucking down some cold cocktails. Because you know it'll be warm. Be kind of like here. You know, it'll be like seventy-five. Might be rainy, but it'll be yeah, warm. Seventy-five. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. what it's supposed to be. All right. So we got Dan Plesac coming up here in a matter of moments. Very much looking forward to that. We're going to talk about all this stuff with baseball. Some of these, not only his career, because for some of you, you may not know Dan Plesak as a pitcher. So we're going to take a break real quick, all right, Yep. to the Ham and Eggers, and then our big interview with longtime big leaguer Dan Plesak. That's next on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmer. Mr. President, please take it away. <laughs> it's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Run through some advertisements here before we get to Dan. First off, the Bengals report brought to you by Encore Technologies. 
Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. That was pretty good. I didn't think you were going to get that in, Casey. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. Also, the new premium alkaline water that you see right here, it is Pawnee. Tastes great. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use, the result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Visit their website at PawneeWater.com. That is P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Drink your Pawnee water. Get your coffee from UDF. Uh, bet with Betfred. And get your technology solutions from Encore.tech. Yeah, I see the chat. Trust me. For, for people that are, uh, I mean, I'm 26. I've been applying to the, the Master's Lottery for a little while. And uh, not to say I'm old or not. I'm not, I'm not taking this for granted. I think it'll be uh, hopefully a good experience. And I'm just really hoping that the weather stays away. We'll see. Yeah, nothing, nothing we I can do about so. nothing. Nothing I can do about the weather. I'm, I'm just kind of along for the ride. I mean, what, what conditions? Like, is it any amount of rain, and they just stop the whole? Thing no, no, they they would play through like a light rain. Um, they would play through the rain, but I'm just worried they, they keep going back and forth on whether they want to say that it's a thunderstorm or not um, on Friday. Luckily, Thursday Thursday looked awful too, and the rain has completely moved out for Thursday, and then for. Uh, Friday, it's looking it's looking a little better, but not into the late afternoon. You should look at the the radar, like in California or some of the like lower state, wherever it's coming from. See what direction it's traveling in, and just try to like. Oh, good point, Casey. Because sometimes, sometimes it they predict it to go a certain way, yeah, and it doesn't change that no, yeah, you're algorithm right. or whatever until like the day of. Yeah, you're right. I'll do that. Yeah. All right. We're good to go with Dan. We are. We are. Very, very excited. Um, really excited. Uh, known this guy for a long, long time. Mr. Daniel Thomas Plesak, born in Gary, Indiana, back in 1962. I can't believe he's 61. I, I can't believe it. He grew up not too far down the road from there in Crown Point, Indiana. Started baseball, basketball, track, attended NC State University. Uh, is in the Wolfpack Hall of Fame, in fact. He was the first-round draft pick by the Milwaukee Brewers in 1983 as a starting pitcher out of NC State. But once he arrived in the big leagues two and a half years later, he became one of the game's most dominant closers out of the bullpen, elected to the All-Star Game three times, and to this day is the Brewers' all-time leader in games, saves, ERA, strikeouts per nine innings, since retiring, many of you watch him regularly, a familiar face on the MLB network. We talked about yesterday's even a big league operator in the video game, The Show. He's broadcast All-Star Games, World Series games on Major League Baseball's international feed. He's also an avid horse trainer and near and dear to my heart. He's a lover of animals and horses. He's rescued many neglected horses through the years. That's my kind of man. It's a real man. Pleasure to be joined by Dan <laughs> Police act. Danny, it's great to see you, man. How you doing? Tom, it is great to catch up with you, man. It seems like yesterday at Wrigley Field, I mean, I, I just, I, I, it just amazes me how fast that time goes by. And 
I, I, I mean, a big fan of yours and your father's as much as you've done in a game of baseball. And uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. It's been too long in between talks. Let's put yes, it that way. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. It's great. You don't, you don't age a day. I mean, I say that seriously. I mean, you really don't look much different than the guy that, 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 that you know, I'd be sitting on the bench at Wrigley Field and just talking about baseball or about life or on the team bus or whatever it might be. You look great taking good care of yourself. Yeah, Tom, you know what? I think um, one of the things that this job has done for me, and I got to admit, like, we had some conversations when I played with the Cubs, and um, it, it, this, this, the broadcasting thing is an entirely different animal. And I think if you want to be good at it, you want to take care of your body the best that you can because the hours can be late. I'm on the late 10 to 1 a.m. most of the night. And uh, one of the things that sports do, Tom, I think it keeps you young and it keeps you thinking and it keeps you vibrant and you try and stay in touch with the younger players today, what they're doing, mix in what I did, what they did. Um, and uh, it's been good. It, it really has. If you would have told me when I retired in 2003, like, you know, I was doing, I did Cubs pre and post game for a couple of years. Yeah. And then this MLB network thing came about and it was a big change moving from the Midwest out to New Jersey. But I will have to say this. It's crazy to think that this is, you're 15 at MLB Network, and I can honestly tell you, Tom, I enjoy it as much now as I did year one in 2009. It, it's a great place to work. I, I want to circle back to that uh, in, in just a little bit, but I always love asking the guys who join us on the program for what we call the big interview every Wednesday. Um, take us back to Crown Point, Indiana. I mentioned you were, you were, you were born in Gary, but Crown Point's your hometown. What was family life like in the police sack home growing up? Tom, you know what? Probably a lot like every other kid in the Midwest and probably what you did. You know, my father worked. He was a steel worker. My mom cut hair. She was a beautician. I had two brothers, one older, one younger. Sports was a big part of our family. Um, it was a different time. Like I'm sure in your childhood, where you you know there there wasn't the video games and the and the iPhones and the technology that we had, you got together with your buddies, you went down to the basketball court, you played shirts and skins, you you, you know you you got four or five guys together, you went down to the local baseball field, one guy pitched, one guy hit, one guy played the outfield, and it was just I I think it was a simpler time, and, and I look back at it now and I think about you know, what I had as a kid. And I was very, very grateful and very thankful that, you know, my mom and dad, they worked hard. I could remember till it was like it was yesterday, Tom. There was a stage I was in probably eighth and ninth grade where I really got into hockey. Don't ask me why, like, you know, being six, five, uh, a hockey player probably wasn't in the cards, but I just got really into hockey. And I remember one Christmas, I got a Bobby Orr jersey, hockey jersey, Boston Bruins. And then I thought I was going to be the next guy that was going to be the big star in the NHL. And I look back at it now, and it was just a simpler time. Crown Point, mm -hmm. Indiana, kind of mainstream, small town, Midwest. Um, but all my memories of my childhood, Tom, were really good ones. Um we mentioned you, you were a great athlete in multiple sports, uh, and that's normally the case when you see any professional athlete in any sport is that, you know, when they were growing up, they were playing a little bit of everything. It seems like it's become so, you know, focused on one sport, you know, now with kids and, and, and so on and so forth. But uh, what ultimately led you to the decision that baseball was going to be it? Anything in particular, uh, or you were just better at that than everything else? 
No, I, I wasn't, Tom. As a matter of fact, um, I tell this story quite often. I actually signed a letter of intent to play basketball at NC State. Basketball was really my first love in high school. And after my junior year, I went to an all-star game camp in Milledgeville, Georgia, the BC All-Star Camp, where I was kind of seen by a lot, a lot of national, you know, it put me kind of on the map. And I was a really good basketball player. And Norm Sloan was the head coach at NC State. Monty Tao was his assistant coach. They were on the national championship team in 1974, Monty Tao. They came to watch me play. They offered me a scholarship. I signed a national letter of intent to play basketball at NC State. So going into my senior year, I signed the letter of intent like in November, right before my senior season started. Went through the year. Things were great. Then spring came around, and I played first base in outfield on the baseball team at Crown Point High School. We didn't have anybody to pitch, and our, our coach at the time, Dick Webb, came up to me, and he said, hey, listen. We don't have anybody that can pitch. And I know from what you, I heard when you grew up in Gary and Little League, you were a pitcher. Would you want to pitch? We're looking for some guys to pitch. And I said, well, yeah, I guess I'll do it. Okay. So, Tom, this is the honest to God's truth. I didn't have any training. I didn't have a curveball. I didn't have a slider. I look back at an old newspaper clipping from that day, and I remember telling a reporter, he asked me what my off-speed pitch was. I said, well, I'm, I'm tinkering around a little bit with a knuckleball. So I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I, I start a game like this is the late part of March, strike out like 15 guys in seven innings. That turns into like one more game of 17 strikeouts. To make a long story short, I get drafted in the second round with a mil by the St. Louis Cardinals out of high school. Now, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just out there throwing. I had no training. I had other than really my dad or friends that, hey, you ought to try this delivery, this windup. I didn't know anything about pitching. I just, it was just a natural thing that happened. So I get drafted and I'm like, well, what do I do? And I remember the, the Mo Mazzilli was the scout that was in, in, brought in that signed, why tried to sign me. And Dell Maxville was the GM of the St. Louis Cardinals. So they come to, I get drafted in June draft and it's the days of it being on MLB network. That was forget about it. I found I got out, I got drafted the next day with a Western Union mailgram saying that, hey, congratulations, you've been selected as the 42nd player in the, in the baseball draft by the St. Louis Cardinals Baseball Club. So the Cardinals get in touch with me. We're going back and forth, and this is how crazy it sounds. The initial offer was 25000 I was the 42nd player in the draft, and I told them that I would sign for fifty, And they said, we can't give you fifty because our first round draft pick was a high school kid out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. We gave him 50, and we certainly can't give you 50 if we gave our first round pick 50. So I said, okay, forget about it. I'm gonna go to NC State. And all of a sudden now I'm thinking, maybe I should change and start to play baseball. Norm Sloan leaves NC State, and he takes the head coaching job at the University of Florida. Monty Tao goes with them. So now I'm like, man, what do I do now? So now I'm going to, I'm thinking maybe this baseball thing is the way for me to go. So we get down towards the end of August. I'm about two weeks from going to my first class at NC State. The Cardinals call me back and, and they're like, okay, listen, uh, Del Maxville was the GM. He called me and my parents and said, listen, we've got about a week to get this done. What's your fine? I said, it's going to, I need 50 grand and that incentive bonus package, which was like $7,500. You get 2,000 if you make it to A ball out of double A. If you get to the big leagues, you get another $5,000.
So I said, okay, um, I'm going I'm to take it. So Mo Mazzelli and Del Maxville make the drive from St. Louis, Missouri to Crown Point, Indiana, Tom, for me to sign the contract. And the night before, my mom said to me, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, not really. I don't even know if I like baseball that much. And she said, well, listen, you need to go to college. If you're not ready to play baseball and you're not sure, then I think it's time for you. To, you, you make the decision. Now, my dad wanted me to sign. Everybody in my family wanted me to sign. And I decided when they came into the house, they sat down, Tom, in my living room. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. And they put the contract out and I told them, uh, I'm not going to sign. And they told me, they asked me why. And I told them, I'm not ready. I need to go to college. I, I haven't been doing this baseball thing long enough. And they tried to convince me that, listen, we are going to make you a big league pitcher. You, you're like a diamond in the rough. You haven't mm -hmm. done a whole lot of training in baseball, but that's our job is to get it out of you. And Tom, they couldn't talk me out of it. I was convinced, nope, I'm going to go to college. I decided to go to NC State. And wouldn't you know, that was the first year Jim Valvano became the head coach of the basketball team at NC State. So I arrive in campus in September. I still kind of have the basketball itch. And the head baseball coach at NC State, Sam Esposito, said to me, I really don't want you to play on the basketball team and walk on because we'd like your time to be dedicated to baseball. So he said, but I'll tell you what, why don't you go down to the gym next week and there, these guys are working out, they're practicing, go to the gym and go ahead and see what you think. So I went there and Tom, I got on the floor with Kozel McQueen, Terry Gannon, Thurl Bailey, Derek Wittenberg, Sidney Lowe, and I'm like, man, this is this is a this is a totally different league. I think this baseball thing is where I'm going. And Tom, I made the I, I made the right move. <laughs> well, that was a team that won the national championship shortly thereafter. It, it, it Tom, exactly. So I'm working out with these guys like the second day, and I, Tom, I can't get a shot off. I, and I'm telling you, I was a good shooter, six five guard. I could not get a shot off. And I'm telling you, when Lorenzo Charles, who had the dunk at the buzzer, yep. right, was guarding me, Tom, I couldn't get shot off. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I, maybe this baseball thing this is the ticket because I've got no chance to play here. I, Tom, there was no way that I, I kind of, I guess I outkicked my punt coverage. I should have chosen maybe a small mid-major if I was going to do basketball, but the basketball thing wasn't going to work for me, I can tell you that. All right, so now all of a sudden you, you got to tell Valvano, and they had given you a scholarship, right? So all of a sudden yes. now, uh, you know, what happened at that point? I mean, the baseball coach clearly had already told you he wants you to play baseball. Had he already said yes. to you, hey, look, you know, if you don't want to do the basketball thing, we got some money with baseball, although we all know yes. baseball doesn't spend the kind of money scholarship-wise that basketball does, especially in those days at NC State. Yeah, Tom, I was very lucky in this is um, they transferred my scholarship from basketball to baseball. But what helped is when you get drafted in the second round and you're the 42nd player in the draft, there's a pretty good idea. They know that you've got some talent and you're going to be able to play on the baseball team. So they switched my scholarship from basketball to baseball. And the rest, as they say, is history. It really is because shortly thereafter, what, three years later, right? You're drafted in the first round. Um, what happened in those in those three years that all of a sudden? I mean, you were already a second round pick, so clearly somebody saw raw. Yes, not a lot of baseball experience. Yes, but you're six five, you're left hander, you're throwing the ball through the through the wall. But what happened that made the difference that that, that put you in line 
to now all of a sudden be looked at as a first-round pick and a guy that the Brewers thought, this is going to be a big league pitcher for us for a long time? Well, Tom, it's, it's funny. It's, it's a great question because in those days at NC State, we didn't even have a pitching coach. We had grad assistant coaches. So our head coach was Sam Esposito. Our grad assistant coach was a great guy, Ray Tanner, who eventually was the head coach at NC State went over to the University of South Carolina, won a couple of national championships with the Gamecocks. I, I think what it was, was being around better players. I didn't, i am be blunt and perfectly honest with you, the instruction that the college players get is far superior than the days when I was at NC State. It was a lot of trial and error. You watched what guys did, other guys, read books, watched some videos if you could, and it was kind of self-taught. The biggest thing that happened in my career, there are two things, uh, Tom, and I, I don't want to get off topic, but two guys I, I, I have to bring into focus. The first was Mike Pazik, who was the minor league pitching coordinator for the Brewers. I signed with the Brewers in 1983. I go to rookie ball, and I'm in rookie ball camp in Paintsville, Kentucky. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed I'm in the rookie league in the Appalachian League because I was a first-round pick out of NC State. I'm basically playing with a lot of high school kids in the rookie ball in the Appalachian League. And Mike Pasek came to me after about my fourth or fifth start. He says, you know, you throw the ball really hard, but we, we got we to gotta change some things. You know, you, you're spraying the ball all over the place. What I want to do with you the next time you start, and I'm going to be here for a week, I want you to throw at like 80%. I want you to throw strike one, strike two, and you're not, I don't want you to really let one go till you get two strikes. So if you want to go ahead and throw 95, but let's get strike one, strike two, then go ahead and throw one 100 and throw it to the backstop. I don't care where it goes, if that's what you want to do. But you have to learn how to pitch and stop throwing. And Tom, it, it's like a light went off. So I started all of a sudden, if I wanted to throw that 95 and let it go, I had to like control it, back it off and get strike one, I had a pretty good slider, not a really good one. That developed a little bit later on. But all of a sudden, what I started to do as a strike one, strike two, 89, 92, and then bam, 95 looked 100. And it, it was like, wow, it was starting, I was starting to be able to pitch and not throw. So fast forward a year later, I'm in uh, A-ball in Stockton, California. And my manager was a guy that had a little cup of coffee in the big leagues named Tim Norbrook. And at the All-Star game that year, at the halfway point, I'm going to start the All-Star game for the North Division of the California League, right? So I'm in Stockton, California in A-ball, and I'm thinking right now, I'm, I'm from the Digby tribe. Like, I'm loving myself. Like, I'm, I'm, I've already conquered rookie ball. I was the rookie ball player of the year, which I should have been because I was probably the only 21-year-old in the Appalachian <laughs> League. Now, right? Now I'm in, I'm in the California League, and I'm thinking, like, my stuff is I'm, – I'm good to go, right? So I pitched this game, the all-star game in the California League, and pitched a couple innings, throw the ball really well. So we get back to Stockton, and, um, you know, as a starting pitcher back in those days, you had the bucket duty. And if your listeners don't know what that is, if you're the starting pitcher on Monday, on Tuesday the next day, your job was to stand behind the screen during batting practice, and when they would throw the balls in, you would put them in a bucket, and you would run that bucket when it was full back into the bullpen or back to the bullpen, the pitcher, the batting practice pitcher, and dumped those balls in a bucket, and those were the balls they threw to the hitter. So I'm standing behind the screen. The balls are coming in, and 
Tim Norbrook comes walking up to me and, and he says to me, he says, uh, he goes, hey, uh, do you remember your first girlfriend? I said, yeah, Mary Kate Thanos. I went to prom with her. And he said, did you love her? And I said, I, I think so. I, I don't know. How much do you know about love when you're 18? And he says, well, you know what you got to do? You got to take your arms and you got to wrap your arms around a game of baseball, just like you did Mary Kate Thanos. And I'm like, what the hell was that? And he walked away and he always had this like open door policy. Right. So it, it really bugged me, Tom, for like two days. And so I walked in his office. I said, hey, I got to ask you something. What was that all about? You call him. What, what's the matter? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know what? You don't need you, you shouldn't even be in the California League right now. You should be in El Paso because you know what your problem is. If we have to, if we have a workout, we have a game workout reporting time is at one o'clock. You're there at 1245. When the workout's over, you're gone. You're never here early. You're never here late. If we tell you to run 10 sprints, you run your 10, but you never run 12. You never run 15. And he goes, you got to start falling in love with this. Like, it's not just show up and be ready to get dressed and get on the field. You know, take it. You know, take an interest in pitching. Take an interest in the game. And Tom, he called me out. And from that point forward, I remember this like it was yesterday. We went, on a, we went on a road trip to Visalia, California, to play the Visalia Twins. And near the hotel where we stayed was a bookstore. I went in that bookstore, and I still have the book, and I get chills when I think about it. It was the book, The Art of Pitching by Tom Seaver. That book, Tom, I've read that book from front to cover a thousand times in my life, and it opened the game of baseball to me, like what Tom Seaver, what his approach was, what his mechanics were what he looked at when he looked at a hitter, how he held his bat, what his swing path was like, what to do between games, how to prepare yourself mentally, how to get those big three or four outs in a crucial part of the game, how to save some gas in the beginning of the game so you have some in the middle of the game when you need a big strikeout. And Tom, that book and Tim Norbrook woke me up. That's all I can tell you. Well, let me ask you this, though. So, uh, Tom Seaver, obviously, you know, Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the all-time greats. You were a starting pitcher then. Uh, I'm not assuming that a lot of the lessons in that book uh, could not apply to a reliever, but clearly, Seaver's, you know, where he's coming from, and the only thing that he knew was as a starting pitcher. That's what you were then. Now, all of a sudden, shortly thereafter, and you weren't in the minor leagues very long. You might have started at the lowest level down there in the Appalachian League, but, I mean, you were blistering through right away. How did you become a reliever? <laughs> I make the team in 1986 out of spring training as the fifth starter, Tom. George Bamberger was the manager of the Brewers. I make the team. I find out on Saturday I'm, I'm breaking with the club. So the, I go to camp. I'm really about the fifth or sixth best pitching spot prospect in the Brewers system at that time. The number one guy was Tim Leary. Then there was Jamie Kokenauer, Juan Nieves, Chris Basio. There were, at that time, Bill Wegman, a Cincinnati guy. Yep. The, the Brewers were stacked in the minor leagues. So I really was like number six on that list of prospects. I go to camp, and I'm, I'm throwing the ball pretty well. I, a week goes by, and then George Bamber comes up to me, and he says, hey, uh, you're, you're gonna, you know, we're going to start you every you know, four or five days. And the guy that was in charge of me, uh, boy, you bring up so many good – Ted Simmons – so oh, every boy. game, wow! Now there's him. a name, man. That's one of the great names of all time that not many people talk about. I don't mean to interrupt you, but wow, no. wow! So when spring training starts, he catches me on the side, and only the way 
the game of baseball was in the 80s, right? If you can picture this, here I am right out of double A, and I'm throwing my first bullpen session, and George Bamberger, the manager, walks up to me. He says, hey, kid, nice to meet you. He goes, hey, I want you to meet Ted Simmons. He's going to catch you here during spring training. And I, Tom, God strike me dead. It was one of the funniest things ever, and I thought, man, this is this is grown man baseball. Ted Simmons is catching me in my first bullpen with a cigarette going, taking a puff, catching the ball, throwing it back. I'm like, man, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I mean, he's he's catching my best heater, and he's got a smack going, bam, throwing it back to me. I'm like, man, these guys are good in the big leagues, right? So the first game I pitched in, Ted, yeah, Teddy Higuera is supposed to, first, to pitch the first uh, game in the Cactus League for the Brewers, right? He comes up and gets sick, and they come up to me. This is the first spring training game. And the, they come up to me, and they go, hey, you're going to start the game. I am as nervous as could be. And all I could remember was Ted Simmons. He had his mask on his top of his head. We get done throwing. We're walking out. He said, kid, hit my glove, and don't shake me off. Tom, it was, like, surreal. The first hitter, it was Brian Downing. I grew up a White Sox fan, man, and I remember Brian Downing with that open stance. He was the first incredible Hulk in baseball, right? And I remember going, holy shit, that's Brian Downing. Like, I'm I'm looking at Brian Downing from 60 feet, six <laughs> inches away. And I so I pitched three innings, nine up, nine down. Five days later, I'm pitching well. I mean, I hadn't given up a run. So there's a week left in camp, and we have a day off, and they tell me, hey, we want you to go down to minor league camp. And you're going to throw against the Giants AAA team. So I thought, all right, you know what? This was great. As every young player will tell you in the big leagues, your goal is every Monday, you get that meal money, 700 bucks, you know you're good for another week. And that money goes a long way when you don't have any money. That's $700. That's like you just hit the lottery, right? So I go down to the minor league game, and they tell me, hey, just uh, come to the ballpark, get dressed, and Bill Schroeder is going to go over with you. And I'm like, wow, that's odd. So he now he's mad because this is the one day off. Now he's got to go catch me in a triple-A game. So we drive over to Phoenix where the Giants minor league camp is. And now I've never even pitched in triple-A, Tom. I went rookie ball, A ball, double-A. So now I'm in big league camp with two weeks left, and I'm going to throw against the Phoenix uh, Giants, their triple-A team, at the minor league facility. And I'm like, okay, so I'm warming up. And Bill Shorter goes, hey, we got to take this serious now. And Tom... I get on the mound and I'm taking my warm ups, and all of a sudden I walk in and I see, uh oh, Harry Dalton, GM, George Bamberger, manager, Bud Selig, owner, right? Herm Sturette, pitching coach, they all came to watch me pitch. And I'm like, ooh, then I started getting a little nervous. And all I told myself was just, you know, what Ted Simmons told me just hit the glove. Tom, I pitched six innings, 18 up, 18 down, didn't give up a hit. And I walked away from there, and I'm like, wow, we're driving back in a car in Bill Shorter's car. This is almost like a scene from a movie, right? Two big league guys driving in Mason full beauty, pulling the Burger King to get a Whopper, right? They're probably going, what the hell are these guys doing? These guys are taking that fan thing to a different level, right? Like, hey, we're for the Brewers, right? I want a, you know what? I want a double Whopper, hearts, fried, and Coke. So a week later... Uh, there's we're getting ready to break camp and I get called in the office. Jimmy Bank, the traveling secretary, yep. calls me and he says, they want to see you in the office. I walk in the office. There's Bud Selig. There's Harry Dalton and George Bamberger. We sit down and they said, okay, you know, there's 26 guys here. And he says, you know, you got to just do the math. 
He goes, I got to inform you. I mean, we just made a trade. We traded Moose Haas to the Oakland A's. So 26, including you, would be 25. Congratulations, you made the team. And I'm like, holy hell. So the plan was I was going to be the fifth starter in the month of April because we had every day off. It was Danny Darwin, Jaime Kokenauer, Teddy Higuera, Tom Candiotti were the four guys in the rotation. I was number five. And it so happened that they were like every Monday we were off. They didn't want to disrupt those guys. So they said, hey, we're going to put you in the bullpen, get your feet wet, and we're going to leave you there. And I got my first big league win against the Yankees. Came in, we were losing, Tom. I pitched four innings, 12 up, 12 down. Wow. We scored two runs in the bottom of the ninth. I got my first big league win. The game's over. I'm, I'm so happy. And all of a sudden, they say, hey, they want to see you in the office. And George Bamberger says, hey, kid, guess what? We're going to keep you in the bullpen. You're going to be our version of Dave Rigetti. We're going to take that change up, forget about it. I want you to go two pitches, fastball, slider. Tom, the rest is history. And 18 years later, I, I was a bullpen guy, and I bought into it. Did you buy into it right away? I mean, look, you know, no. you, I mean, you're no. just talking about some of the games you're having in the minor leagues. I mean, hell, we, we were talking earlier in the program. It's neither here nor there. But, I mean, you're pitching in spring training games six innings. You probably throw 90-something, 80-something pitches, right? You can't even get a lot yes. of big leaguers in major league games, regular season games now to get to six innings. Lord knows that around here in Cincinnati. But were you buying into – were you buying into this whole thing because you were a starting pitcher and obviously doing well at it? Disappointed at first, I'm going to be honest with you, because I was just learning, you know, that the changeup. It wasn't good, but it was getting better. And towards the end of big league spring training camp, I was actually able to, like, ball one, I could throw a changeup for a strike, and I'd get a wave and a swing and a miss. And I really started to see this thing coming together, this changing speeds thing. But I will tell you this, Tom, and you know me well. I'm I'm a more of a fast twitch guy. Like yeah. I don't do well sitting still, and I think I would have drove myself nuts uh, every five days. I'd look at it this way: I think the life of a big league starting pitcher is the greatest life if you're doing well. If you're having a miserable year and you've had four back-to-back -back starts, you know that are just awful. Those four days in between, Tom, can be hellacious. And one of the things I liked about the bullpen. You could have a bad game on Monday, but, boy, you could be right back in there on Tuesday and Wednesday and pitch really well and forget about it. I didn't buy into it at first, but I think it better fit the style of a – it fit my personality better. I'm, I'm just not – I'm one of those fast energy guys. Like, I, I want to do it. I want to do it fast, and you can't operate like that being the starting pitcher. All right, so now all of a sudden uh, you're in the bullpen, and I mean success, Dan, comes fast. It comes it does. really fast. Um, you become eventually the closer. Now, the closer's role was a little bit different then than, than maybe it is now. You know, you'd have to get more than just three outs at the end of a game. Sometimes you were going two innings, maybe occasionally even three innings to get a save. Uh, but, but now all of a sudden, Dan, you're, you're going to all-star games every year. Yeah, Tom. I, yeah. It, uh, in 1987, I made my first all-star game. And I, I got to be honest with you, I'm – we, we ended the season, the first half of the season in Oakland. So I just stay in Oakland for the All-Star game. I get I get voted on the All-Star team by the managers, right? And I'm, I walk into – Tom, I got to tell you, it, it was like a surreal moment. I walk into the locker room, like I'm like kind of nervous. Like you walk in and you look on the wall and you see Clemens, Saberhagen, Nolan Ryan, Bruce Hurst. And it's like, what in the hell am I doing here, right? And, and I can remember – 
sitting there nervous when the game starts. I'm sitting down to bullpen, and Brett Saberhagen was a starting pitcher for the American League. I watched him warm up, and I'm sitting down there in the bullpen in Oakland, Tom, and I'm like, wow, how do you guys hit this stuff? I mean, Brett Saberhagen is one of the most underappreciated great pitchers. I mean, pound for pound, when he was healthy from like 1985 to like 1991, Tom, he was as dominant as any starting pitcher in the game of baseball. If he would have been pitching in New York or Boston, he would he would have been like we would have looked at him in a different light. He was that good, and I remember, you know, sitting there. He he started the game, and I'm nervous, wreck sitting there. And all of a sudden, bam, tie game, ninth inning. You got the ninth, and I'm like, whoo! I remember I faced uh, Bo Diaz, flew out to right field. Dale Murphy popped up to third base, and I struck out Hubie Brooks and. I remember coming off the field and I was just like a bundle of nerves. Like, and now it's a tie game. So I'm like, holy hell, like, whoo, I wonder if I'm going to go back out there again. I hope this is just it because I don't want to <laughs> screw this game up, right? I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm like, man, I don't want to get a loss in an all-star game. I walk in, I sit down and Jim Fergosi walks over to me and he was one of the coaches. He said, hey, that's it, kid. Good job. And I was like, you know, and I wanted to say, hey, I could go another one, but I was like, the hell with that. I'm good. One scoreless time out the door. <laughs> that is great, great stuff. But then and now you go to two more All-Star games. I mean, you know, now guys are probably young guys at that point. You were still a young man. But there are guys looking at you and saying, oh, please, Zach, man. We were watching this guy the last three years. He's all over. Yeah. And, yeah, and, Tom, and, it, and that role changes quick, doesn't it? How you go from being that guy it, that's kind of in awe to all of a sudden being a guy where a lot of guys are looking at you that way. Yeah, it does, Tom. And, and you know, it, it's, it's funny because I, I went to my second All-Star game. And I, I think that was kind of like, listen, we all have, like, games to say, hey, you know what, did your team win? You know. The, the game that I felt like really put me on the map was the 88 All-Star game in Cincinnati. And I get to the field that day and, you know, Tom Kelly was the manager because the Twins won the World Series in 87. We have the meeting before the game and they're going about, hey, how we're going to script the game. And TK comes up to me and says, hey, listen, man, I know you're having a great year, but it's literally a great story with Eckersley. And I, we're going to have that, you know, close games. So he goes, I'm going to get you in the game. And he goes, listen, Strawberry's your guy. Seventh inning on. He's your guy. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, so I'm sitting there the whole game and I'm, you know, you're nervous. I mean, Tom, when you're in the life of the bullpen, man, especially in a close game, you know, you're in a day and age in, in the eighties, when people watched the all-star game in the world series, there were a lot of eyeballs. Cause there weren't like, you know, Fox sports, Cincinnati and SNY and yes, network. And you Nesson, there was like, you wanted to watch a baseball game and you lived in Cincinnati or Crown Point, Indiana. You watched it on NBC. You watched the game of the week. Yep. And you watched the all-star game. And so I'm sitting there and the game's going on and it gets into the eighth inning and I'm kind of looking at the lineup and I get up, and I start throwing just in case Strawberry comes, right? He's hitting fourth in the inning. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So there's two outs and Willie McGee's up and he hits a ground ball to first base to Don Mattingly, right? Who's like the surest thing ever in baseball, right? And he bobbles it and he boots it and all of a sudden, now I'm like, holy shit, Strawberry's up next. So I rapid fire like five or six really quick. They bring me in a game. Tom Kelly hands me the ball. And the first thing he told me, he goes, remember what we talked about earlier in the scouting report? I said, yeah. So Tom, he tells me, listen, your guy Strawberry, he's a really good low ball hitter. Just try to throw that thing belt high to chest high, and you'll get him to swing right through it. Be careful down in the zone. No problem. 
So I get the ball. He comes out. He hands me the ball. And he goes, hey, you know the plan? I go, yep. Just elevate the heater. Let Tom, I couldn't have thrown three knee-high heaters. I was aiming at his chest. <laughs> God, I'm telling you, I threw three fastballs at his knees. He swung right through all three of them. And I'm like, how the hell did I just do that? The coolest thing ever. We're staying at the Westin in Cincinnati. And I remember, like, I get back to the room after a game. I'm like, you know, I'm pacing back and forth. I'm like a caged lion thinking, man, I just struck out strawberry, right? Like, yeah, well, this is this is great. So I ordered, a, I remember, I ordered a club sandwich. And they bring a club sandwich and fries. The guy knocks on the door again. He goes, here's your dessert. And I'm like, my dessert? Tom, the hotel put me a, made me a piece of cheesecake. And they, script, and they wrote on it in red, like whatever, food coloring, strawberry dessert. Congratulations. And, you know, in the day and age now, I wish I would have had a cell phone then and taken a picture of that. Yeah. But it was one of the, it was one of the coolest things ever. And that, that, was, that was like my game. That was my game, like, that I, I, I came out. Like, that was my coming out party was the 88 All-Star game. That is really, really cool. Uh, you, you, you're in three of them, and now what happens, Dan, after that? I mean, I, I was not yet announcing big league games. It was shortly thereafter that I was. But you, you go from bam, 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 all-star game, closer of the Milwaukee Brewers. What happened? Well, interesting story. And it, it, a lot happened, and I talked to a guy yesterday. I don't know if you remember a, a catcher. He was the best catcher I ever threw to. Guy named Charlie O'Brien. Of course. Caught a lot of the Braves yep. guys. So we used to do this thing where we would play long toss from one pole to the other at County Stadium. He would stand on the right field pole. I'd stand on the left field pole. And we would play long toss. And, I mean, that's how you're young and you're strong. And, Tom, I could throw a ball from foul pole to foul pole on a line in my sleep. And I had just come back from the 89 All-Star game in Anaheim. And I had pitched a lot right before the break. I pitched in that game, faced one guy, gave up a hit to Bon Hayes. Came back day after the All-Star break. I'm a little tired. Charlie O'Brien says, hey, let's go play long toss. I'm like, ah. he goes, oh, man, come on. So I'm like, okay. And I remember throwing a ball, Tom, and I threw it. I'm like, ooh, man, that didn't feel good, right? Back on my shoulder, I'm like, ooh, wee, what was that? So about two days later, I don't get in a couple of games. This thing really starts barking. So when I don't know what it is, I finally have to tell the Brewers, say, listen, got something going on in here. This is, you know, this thing's killing me. They asked me how I did it. I said, playing catch. They did it, you know, x-rays, MRI, all that, showed no tear. I had really bad tendonitis. Took a cortisone shot. Away we go. And Tom, for the next, like, two years, that thing hurt every day. That thing hurt every day at 90, 91, 92. And I don't know how I did it. With smoke and mirrors in 1992, I had a really good year. Phil Garner was the manager, but my shoulder, I wasn't right. But I was just uh, gutting it up, taking 10, 15 aspirin, any anti-inflammatory you could take, I took. And I know you're going to say, well, why didn't you say anything? You do. I got a great story. My rookie year, we're in, we're, we're in Oakland, and we're, going to, we're in Toronto going to Oakland, and Robin Yount had turf toe really bad. So after the last game in the Toronto series, on a Sunday – I walk in the training room and I see Robbie on on the table and I see this needle about six inches long. They're going to stick it in his toe. And I'm like, oh, man, that has to hurt. So two days later, Tuesday, we're in Oakland in batting practice. And, you know, I don't know what to say. This is Robbie out. Like him and Molitor, if they didn't talk to you, you weren't going to go like, hey, Paulie, how you doing today? Like, if, <laughs> you know, you just kind of close your mouth and hey, whatever. So I'm standing here in the outfield and I didn't know how to ask him, but I said, hey, 
hey, Robin, that shot hurt? He goes, yeah. I go, wow. I go, hey, you're in the lineup. He goes, yeah. Why wouldn't I be? He goes, hey, can I ask you something? I said, yeah. He goes, did you ever fake being sick when you were a kid and your mom and dad would go off to work and you duped them and then when they left, you got up? I said, oh, hell yeah, everybody did that. He goes, that's how it is in baseball. You find out how easy it is to take a day off, you'll just keep doing it over and over again. And he walked away from me. And I was like, wow, lesson learned. So I, you know what it was, Tom? It was bullheadedness for me in like 1989 and 90. I should have just really said, hey, this thing isn't right. Let's really get it looked at, really rest it. But I just felt like, Tom, if I could breathe and I could throw, I was going to pitch. And it was the demise of me. I signed as a free agent with the Cubs, had a good year with Milwaukee. I signed with the Cubs. I don't know why the hell I signed with them. They had Paul Asenmacher, Chuck McElroy, myself, and Randy Myers. You've got five guys in the bullpen. Four of them are left-handed. But the, the appeal of playing at home, it, it, it got to me. Like, I got a chance to play for the Cubs. Why wouldn't I do it? And it probably wasn't the right move. Um, it was two really tough years for me. I, I wasn't pitching a lot. And when I did pitch, I pitched crappy. Um, I was getting back healthy. The, one of the things... Brett Fisher, who was a strength and conditioning guy, yep. saved my career. Saved my career, Tom. So right before spring training starts, they send all the free agent guys to Mesa to work out, and they do these tests on my shoulder, and I can tell they're like, what the hell? You guys signed this guy. This guy's broken. He put me on a program, and he told me, hey, listen, it's going to be a while. This rest of this year, you're not going to get that strength back. We're going to get it so you won't hurt yourself, but it's, this is going to be a long process. And – Tom, I stayed with that process, the exercises he gave me. I gutted through 93. The best thing probably happened to me was 94 when the strike started because I was just starting to get a little fatigued in August. And so I was able to shut down. And then, you know, I, I, I catch a break. Uh, nobody's signing anybody to free agents. Remember, they're calling the, homes, the homestead homies. Nobody's signing everybody. Guys are in Florida and Arizona. Pete Vukovic, who I played with in Milwaukee, was assistant GM with the Pirates. He called me and says, hey, Lefty, uh, hey, interested? Hey, we got a two-year deal. At this time, Tom, I have like three offers. They're all minor league offers. I signed with the Pirates. I keep up that throwing program, a weight program that Brett Fisher told me. And I rebuild myself, Tom. And from like 97 to 2003, I actually got better. and My arm felt better. And I kind of turned it back around again. But... Yeah, you're right. I went from like 1989, Tom. It was me, Randy Myers, and John Franco, Dave Rigetti. When you're talking about, you know, yep. the best closers left-handed yep. in a game of baseball, man, I, 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 I was the classic penthouse to the outhouse. I went from there to, to nothing. And I can remember, Tom, I hope I don't want to ramble, but man, you get no. me going in these stories with baseball. I'm, I'm watching in 1988, we call up a, a lefty that we claimed on waivers and pitched with the Red Sox. Tony Fossus, right? Yep. Couldn't break a plane of glass. He threw 86 mile an hour sinker slider, right? And I remember I'm watching him warming up. This is right, like like June of 1988. This is the height where I'm blowing. I'm like 97. I'm I'm bringing the mail. I'm watching him warm up, and I remember sitting there watching him warm up. And he's okay. You're in the game, Tony. And he runs out there, and I remember thinking, "Holy hell! I'd be scared to death to go out there with that stuff." Like. <laughs> Holy shit, he can't even defend himself, right? <laughs> hey, guess what, Tom? Four years later, I was Tony Foster. That's right. I was, I was the guy. say it. Right, right. You know, but, 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 I, but look, you know, I, I think it says a lot about your character and a lot about who you are mentally that, you know, 
I would imagine there's a part of you then, and, and one of the most difficult things to do, you mentioned the guys, Rigetti and Franco and Randy Myers and all you get, right? Where you were that guy. Now, all of a sudden, you yeah. are more like Tony Fossis and those guys, yet those guys are still going strong for other teams as closers, doing the same thing that you were doing. Um, Hard, Tom. Yeah, I mean, but, but was there a was there a, you know, maybe a, a moment where you said, you know what, I'm cool with this now. And I can go on and pitch for the next, which you did after the Cubs in 93. You go on to pitch 11 more years in the big leagues doing that job. Yeah. what You know what I did, Tom? I, I came – I had one of those come-to-Jesus baseball moments like in 1995 when I was with the Pirates. It was like, okay, how can I survive and stay? A couple of things. One, I've got to be durable. I have to take the ball every time they ask me. And two, I have to learn how to start to get lefties out. And I know you're going, learn how to get lefties out. Tom, from 1986 to 1990, you don't learn anything. When you throw 97 and you have a slider, I was like Norm Charlton, man. I threw 97 with the wipeout slider. He had the split finger. There was a, You didn't have to teach Norm Charlton, Rob Dibble, Randy Myers how to pitch. You got the hell out of the way. You just said, hey, warm up, get ready, use your stuff and go get it. And so I remember I was working out in the winter, like 1989, and Pete Vukovic is watching me throw, and he goes, hey, lefty, you ever throw a 2-2 fastball on purpose for a ball up and away to throw a 3-2 slider for a strike? And I, I looked at him, I said, hell no, are you, are you out of your mind? I'd never do that. Tom, Pete Vukovic was over my shoulder for like the last seven years. I don't know how many times Mo Vaughn, Ken Griffey, I get two balls, two strikes. I throw a fastball, chest high. They wouldn't swing at it. I throw a 3-2 breaking ball for a called strike or a swing and a miss. But you have to get to a point where you just realize, I, I'm not Dan Plezak anymore. I'm not Randy Myers. I'm not Norm Charlton. I'm not John Franco. As much as I, I wanted to tell myself, like, man, I'm, I'm still throwing good. I was throwing good, throwing pain-free, but I'm not throwing good. Best story ever. 2003, my last year, we, I'm with the Phillies, right? And I'm having a good season. And they want me to come back and play another year. But, man, I, I am mentally and physically, I am drained. And we have a big series. We're trying to catch the Marlins, who eventually win it all. They win the wild card. They win the World Series and over the Yankees. We're trying to catch the Marlins. We're like two games back. We have a weekend series against the Reds in, at the vet in Philadelphia. So we already see that the Marlins lost. So this is a game we got to win. We're two back with, like, Six games to go. They bring me in a game, first and third one out. I'll never forget it, with my buddy to face Sean Casey. And I remember I'm like, oh, man, this is a, this is a tough one because Sean Casey can hit, man. And you're not striking him out. Like that, that, the only thing you got to hope for, he couldn't run that well, is you could get him to hit it on the ground because forget about striking him out. So I remember I'm like, oh, man, this is a big game. We already know that the Marlins lost so we can gain a game. And I remember I'm like, okay, ball one, ball two, and I'm two balls and no strikes. And something came over me, Tom, and I'm like, all right, it's time to man up. If you ever threw 195 again, this is the time to throw it because he knows you're throwing it. I know I'm throwing it. The hell with it. Here it goes, Tom. I came set, and I threw a 2-0 fastball to Sean Casey down and away. Mike Lieberthal caught it. And I remember thinking, take that, Casey. Take that for your ass right there, right? <laughs> And I look up, I look up, you know how they have this type of pitch, like in all the stages, you see what the velo is? I see type of pitch FB 88. I'm like, 
88! Holy shit! 88! I know what 88 is. That was 95 if there ever was. And you know damn well that that 88 was juiced because if it's the home gun, it was probably 86, right? <laughs> the next pitch, Sean Casey hit the hardest ground ball one-hop liner to Marlon Anderson you've ever seen. He didn't catch it. The ball caught him. Like, it just, it was a bullet. Four, six, three, double play. We get out of the inning, and I'm walking off the field going, this is it for me, man. That was my best bullet. Uh, 88, and I know that wasn't 88. That was probably 86. <laughs> that is a great story. That's the one thing about baseball. I mean, they, the stories, unlike other sports, are just, and, and, and the people. I wonder so much, Dan. You've mentioned some names, and, and, and look, uh, you know, we're, we're roughly the same age, and, and, and when right. I hear you say names like, you know, Teddy Higuera, Ted Simmons, George Bamberger, Pete Vukovic, I mean, these are guys that if you were fortunate enough and blessed enough like you and I were, you as a player, me broadcasting, to be around these guys, um, we were all so lucky. I wonder how many of the young guys now are getting around guys like that. Does that make sense? Not, it, it, Tom, it does. It, um, it, it's a different game now and in a lot of different ways. We are all different now, and it, it, it takes some getting used to. We do a thing with MLB Network, 30 teams in 30 days, where you get to spend an entire day with a team, right? And I, to me, it's the greatest part about my job. You get to go – to the Giants camp, and you get to watch guys throw bullpens. The coaching staff, they're all pretty much in my age. Most of the guys are older. They'll tell you about the players. But you know what? One of the things you notice, Tom, and I'm not blaming, it's just the way of the world. You walk into a clubhouse, and you see, for the most part, guys facing the inside of their locker on their phone. Like, there was a time, and I know you got you to, gotta like, hey, it's the way it was. And I'm sure you saw this, and I know I did. When you got the USA Today newspaper in spring training, everybody sat around and they were looking at box scores. If you were in Arizona, you were looking at Florida. If you were in Florida, you were looking at Arizona and you were looking at the box scores and going, oh man, I'm glad I'm that guy. Inning in two thirds, eight earned runs yesterday in Arizona. And But it, it's Tom, it's, it's a different game. And, I, and the, the only, I don't miss playing. I don't miss playing, but you know what I miss? I miss a Sunday afternoon in July at 10.30 in the morning for a noon day game at Fenway when you're leaning against the wall and you're looking up and you're looking at the monster and you're going, man, this is where Pudge Fisk hit that home run. Or you're standing in the outfield at Yankee Stadium in center field shagging balls and you're looking up at that black tarp in center field going, man, that's where Reggie hit that third home run. And, you know, oh, wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I miss that. I, that that's what I miss. I, I miss probably what you miss. You miss like a big game, it, whether it was the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the Reds, whatever team you're broadcasting. And when you're on that bus and it's a Friday night and there's two weeks left and it's a big game. And when you get off that bus, you're like, damn, this is why we do this. You know what I mean? Like, yep. or you go to a ballpark that's memories. You go to St. Louis. For you, it's in Cincinnati. And, you know, Bench and all the guys that you're around, George Foster and Seaver and just all the names that you – it brings up, it makes you feel good. And that's that's the one thing I wish now that, like, I would like to see the the, the players. And, and guys do that are older. Max Scherzer, Verlander, they get it. They appreciate it. 
but I think with a lot of the younger players with technology, it's kind of taken, it, it takes away the genuine love of the game, the people, the ballparks, the play. You know, I, I tell people all the time, and you know this, Tom, there's nothing more cool. And you, you've done national games when you're doing a game in Yankee Stadium for a Saturday game and you get there at 1030 in the morning. And when you drive in and you get there, all you see are the lawnmowers cutting grass. It's a quiet place yep. that's going to be chaos in three hours. And you're sitting up in that booth and all you hear are the lawnmowers. And you're just like, you're going over your thoughts of the Yankees, the team, the two teams. That, that's what I, that's, Tom, that's what I love about baseball. You know, I, I've been saying, Dan, uh, even the last number of years I was broadcasting baseball and, and I, I looked at it as a dying game. Uh, I felt like, and I felt like in many ways, I mean, there were other people, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I, I, I just kind of, you know, from what I saw and witnessed after doing it 30-plus years, I saw a sport that was slow. I saw a sport that was tired. I saw a sport with no action. Uh, the analytics were starting to take over, which I thought was starting to lead to the ruination of baseball on many, many levels. Now, some people can buy into it. That's their opinion. They're allowed to buy into it. I think these rules are starting to get – the new rules are getting it back to the way it was. You agree with that? Did baseball need this? Tom, 100%. And I'll tell you what I do. When I go to spring training and I do these 30 teams in 30 days, I ask players. And I don't ask the young guys. I, I talk to Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, talk to some of the older guys. Hey, what do you think about this? You know what, Tom? They all buy in. And I'm to the point of this. If the players buy in, then I should buy in. Because when you were buying in in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, you were in the middle of it, man. You were in the middle of it in Chicago, in Arizona, in Cincinnati. Your interaction with the players was real. And you got to see that. And when those players tell me it needed to be done, like these, you know, four to two games are three hours and 45 minutes, they drive you nuts. Like, it's gonna. they all said the same thing. You know, it's going to take some time getting used to the 20 seconds with a runner on, 15 seconds with nobody on. But once you do it a few times and you get used to doing it, I haven't met a guy yet, Tom. I have talked to a lot of players that said, these things stink. I wish they'd leave it the way it is. And if the players like it, Tom, I think we're going to like it. Okay. A couple, couple more things I, I want to ask you about. We were talking about this before you came on today, and I made reference to it very early in this conversation, uh, about protecting pitchers. And this has been hotly debated for a long, long time, right? Uh, you know, Nolan Ryan came in a few years ago and said with the Rangers, we're not doing this nonsense anymore. And I had shared the story with the guys here about how Greg Maddox said to me one day back in the early 90s, you never really learn how to pitch until you can pitch after 100 pitches in a game. That's where you figure out how to get through the road bumps and the, the landmines and so on and so forth. Um, are we ever going to get back to a day where some of these starting pitchers are, are, are being allowed to throw 105, 110, 115 pitches? No, I don't think so. There, there, there's like five guys that come to mind. I'll tell you what, watching Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins last night, he's one of those guys, Tom. Sandy could have pitched on the big red machine. He could have pitched in 1920. Sandy Alcantara is cut from a different mold. But this is the, this is the issue, Tom. We are, we are wanting guys, we want maximum velo, maximum spin. And, and what you're getting is guys that are bigger, stronger, faster, throwing harder than ever before, but they're not built to last and they're not trained to last. And the day and age, listen, it, 
it is gone. The, the, the surge of Tommy John surgeries the last 10 years has been incredible. If you haven't had one, you're probably going to have one. If you haven't had yep. one, you should go get one anyway, right? Because you're going to eventually need it. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's almost the, the way it is. Yep. Um, I, I don't think so until – and listen, I'm with you. I, I, I think there's a point where the analytics are good. I think the video and the technology for pitchers is so good now where guys can go in after an inning and these cameras can show that your fingers are like an eighth of an inch one way or the other, and that's why your ball's sinking and not running, and you can fix things on the fly. It's great. But I think we've allowed we, – we, we've allowed – too much, just grip it and rip it and throw it. And if you know the problem is, they're every Tom. I mean, think about it. Every game you watch, guys coming out of the bullpen, 95, 98, yep. 95, 98. It's yep. it's it's industry wide, but they train that way. And I, I I I it's refreshing to watch a guy like Sandy Alcantara pitch because he wants to finish what he starts. He, I call him dead brain heavers. He's not one of those guys that's just going to throw it through the wall. Man, I, it, there's nothing I get more frustrated with. When you watch guys coming out of the bullpen, they're throwing, they're falling down towards first base, spike one in the dirt, throw one up in the air, and they're saying, boy, that's good. That's, you know, 101, 101, and it bounced. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be some give and take, and I think, I don't know who that organization is going to be that's going to say, hey, you know what I want to do? We need to get some guys on this roster, pitchers, that can eat some innings. I'll sacrifice velo. I'll sacrifice a little bit of spin rate. But we've got to start getting guys into that seventh inning because this five and fly, Tom, team's bullpens, they're they are just in shambles yep. by the time they get to June and July. It's well, just I the mean, way it is. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make an argument there. A lot of teams, it's going to happen here in Cincinnati uh, because they've got so many young guys in the rotation where they're getting guys out after five innings and they've thrown 90-something pitches in five. And that's part of maturation. I get it. But, I mean, yeah, they're going to blow th – they're already sending guys out six games into the year uh, in their bullpen because they've been used too much. I mean, it's, it's just – it's insanity. All right, last thing it, I want to cover with you because I've never asked you about this, is it, and this is getting off the topic because I said it in the open, um, you know, you were heavily involved with uh, horse training. I don't know if you are anymore. Yes. Um, Not anymore, but I was. Okay, you were involved in it. Um, you know, look, I, you're an animal lover. I'm an animal lover. Yesterday was World Stray Animal Day, okay? We talked about it here on the program. But I, I'm curious because I know there were many times where you had to be around that horse training, horse racing world, right? But then all of a sudden yes. you're seeing the animal that was sort of left off to the side. And maybe beat up and maybe broken. And I'm not insinuating that whole world is like that. But what was that whole experience like for you? I'm going to tell you the best thing that happened to me. Um, that the horse bug bit me when I was a little kid. My grandfather, we always had standard bred harness horses, right? And when I got into baseball, obviously I had the money and I had 15, 20 horses. They were racing in Canada. They were racing at the Meadowlands in New Jersey. The tracks in Chicago, I had them all over the place. And you think you know a lot about the animal and what they're doing and you know what I mean? And they become almost like, yeah, you buy one, you sell him. He's no good, get rid of him, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward, I retire in 2003 and I have my horse farm and this is gonna be the new thing I wanna do. I wanna train horses, Tom. It gave me such an appreciation of the animal. And you think about like, just think about your pet, your dog, like these racehorses. Tom, if you knew what they went through 
once or twice a month, like just like you want to give a horse medicine, you want to get, they have a respiratory problem. You want to find out after a horse races, you often hear like, hey, they race horses on Lasix, that medication that helps them breathe in case they have breathing, like they overheat their, their system. Well, to find out if a horse bleeds or if you want to find out, hey, my horse didn't race really well. The last quarter of a mile, he kind of didn't have any pop. I want to see what's wrong. You got to figure out, hey, does he have a lung infection? Man, they stick this long tube that looks like a garden hose, put a twitch on the horse and through his nose all the way down and they look through it. And you don't know how many times I stood there, Tom, and I thought, man, if that, that thing was an, uh, a human, he'd be like, man, you're not gonna stick that thing up my nose again. And Tom, it's, they're, they're majestic animals. That's all I could tell you. And from my time training horses, I had a better appreciation of the animal when I was done playing, when I was taking care of them myself, because they're just like you take care of your dog in your house, like they become part of your family. And, you know, unfortunately, when, you, when you're dealing with, with the animals and racehorses, you're gonna have, you know, people that take good care of their horses, you're gonna have people that don't. That's, that's kind of, it's the same with the way of the world with pets, that's right? right. Um, um, but Tom, they, they are an incredible animal. You, you ask them to do things, to stand there, and like they just get done working and they, get done with a race you see a horse like if you're you're watching on tv and the, the winner comes back and they spray the hose and you can see the horse like they're just huffing and puffing you know and and you think to yourself like man this thing ran till he could hardly breathe again and then guess what 21 days you're going to ask him to do the same thing all over again and you know they can't talk they can't tell you hey my left knee hurts right and you're wondering like in a race why they don't always race good tom they're majestic animals they they i had such a that was one of the hardest things when i left and i came out here to mlb network you know it was a financial opportunity i couldn't pass up but man i i i feel lucky that i was able to spend four years at my farm in indiana training horses it was probably the best four years of my adult life being honest with you that's fantastic all right well dan you've been so generous with your time today uh, i i feel for you having to be around casey i mean his act gets tired <laughs> in a hurry i mean he gets tired in a hurry man i don't know how you do it i don't know how you do That's it. A, <laughs> he's the best. I tell you what, he's got a zest for life and he, he's got a passion for everything he does and it's infectious. Well, you do too, Dan. And, you, and I said yesterday Thanks, when we, we talked about having you on, you, you're one of the best guys I ever had a chance to meet in the game of baseball. And I can't thank you for back in those days and can't thank you enough for today, my friend. All the best to you. Tom, Tom you're, you're great at what you do and you still are. And I hope you get a chance to do it again. Well, thank you, Danny. I appreciate that very much. Have a great day. You got it, Tommy. Be good. All right, man. Danny Plesak. One of the all-time – how good is that guy? Incredible. Incredible. I, I told Casey about halfway through, when you get interviews like him and you know the, the former players that now have done TV and get it, when you do interviews like that and can tell stories like that and be as fluid as that, that was fantastic. He was the exact same guy when he was – when I was around him, uh, when – I didn't know him very well when he, because I, I was just getting going. He was already a stout. He had been at three All-Star games by the time I was doing the Cubs games. Uh, but then he came to the Cubs. Uh, I had a chance to be around this guy every day. And, and then I was two more times later in his career when he became that left-hander to get a left-hander out. They call him a loogie that he was referring to there. He came on board with the Diamondbacks two years and had a chance to be around him again. And he is just, he's never changed one bit. Same guy that grew up in Crown Point, Indiana. He is a wonderful guy, and we hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, so let's take a timeout and, uh, and walk through a couple of final items. Um, 
Thank you very much, Brian. It says, great interview. We appreciate it. All right, we're back with more. Mr. President, free! Free! It's that time of the show, the ham and eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. We haven't had a door problem in a while. Yeah, he, Hangers been... are gone, too. The hangers are over here now. Well, we, we're accumulating some hangers on that door. but There's got to be at least, what, 30 hangers around here? Maybe that's oh, too no, many. Oh, no, there's more than that. There's a lot. Um, all right. Yeah, great interview. We have Steve Flesh coming up tomorrow to talk about the Masters. Uh, we have – I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm forgetting. Steve Flesh tomorrow. That was Dan today. Uh, I think we've checked all the boxes there of what we need to do. We've already done our ad reads and everything else. Um, Casey, anything on your mind? Uh, we're settling in. We have Masters. That we'll, again, we'll be talking Masters tomorrow. Um, I don't necessarily have any Masters picks. I'm not much of a golf better. Uh, I don't, don't really have any picks, I guess. I see that the Reds game has been delayed. I know Reed and Trace are either on their way down there or already there. Breaking. Breaking. The best part about Sir Boy Wonder and the way he breaks his news is that he does the news and then afterwards says breaking. I love it. I, well, I, it's trademark. It's a trademark. It is trademark. Sir Boy Wonder. I do get half of my sports news from the Discord from Sir Boy Wonder. If it, the real thing is, if it's not in the Discord, it didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. Like I used to have a. I used to have a. Uh, I used to. One of my friends back home, still a good friend of mine. Not that I used to have him, but still a good friend of mine. His mom used to say, she was a massive Costco shopper and she'd go to the store and she'd say, if Costco doesn't have it, I must not need it. <laughs> Come back from the store. Same idea there. Right. Reed Mouse makes a great point, which is actually part of the reason that I was thinking about going down to the game today. Hard Rock is open. In fact, the Hard Rock never closes. But you're only, you're only there to, to, to gamble on the, the table games. You can't go into their sports book. You, know, you can only do bet Fred. It's true. Yeah, I, uh, you're right. Play the blackjack. Play everything else. Throw, throw some craps. Throw some dice. Yeah, no doubt. You know, we've gone through this whole show. And? I don't want to jinx it. That's the thing. Is I, if, we're uh -oh. not, if we're not going to talk about it, uh -oh. it's probably been the first time in like... Oh, no, no, no. a long time. Oh, no. He's going to do it. I really thought we were going to make it a whole show. No, I'm not going to say it. All right. No. Casey, you can't do, do that to our audience. What is it? No, I'm not going to. I'm going to wait oh, for our, our audience minute. knows. The audience knows. Something that I talk about every day? That we talk about so on the show. We all talk we about do. It. We all do. Every yeah. day. We, have, we haven't. Ad nauseum. Yeah, we, we've talked about it, and they've said it's tired. It's been tired for about, what, since February? <laughs> you talking about the brownies? Oh, oh no. no. Does no. start with a B. What? <laughs> it's the other team in town. The Bengals? <laughs> yeah. There it is. There it is. Check the box. Oh, we almost got through a whole show without mentioning them. But oh well. Well, I did read um, 
I think it was James Rapine. I, I want to give credit where credit is due here, where um, we know they visited with a number of tight ends. Um, the, three of the big guys. Uh, the, the kid from Utah, Kincaid, yep, right? Dalton Kincaid. Um, Michael, um, Michael Mayer. May Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame who grew up across the river. Cub calf. And I'm trying to remember who the third one. I think the kid from Georgia. Darnell Washington. The big man. Big yeah. dude. But then they uh, apparently have also had uh, conversations with a number of others. The Wiley kid from UC. Yep. And a couple of other guys that they're looking at. So clearly, I mean, when you don't have one on the roster, it, it better become a priority. But uh, you wonder if that's where they end up going. And I know we're talking about the Bengals now. It's right up your alley, Casey. It is. Whoever said the Bengals talk is tired? Oh, Take wow. a look at the chat Just look right at now. The chat right now. <laughs> All right, here we go. Well, here, listen. Here's what I got to tell you, okay? And and this is the stuff that 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 I really wonder about for this show. I'm being as as blatantly honest as I can possibly be about this, okay? But the numbers that are in front of me, and I know we're also on Facebook. I don't have that in front of me. I know we also have podcast form. I don't have that in front of me, okay? What I do have in front of me is YouTube, okay? And all of you that are in the chat, and I can't thank you from the bottom of my heart enough for being here, okay? But, but, but here's what happens. So if you're me, and I always try to put myself in, a, in another person's shoes before you start judging or making comments or whatever the case it might be, okay? But if you're us, let's say us, we're a team here. Paul, Casey, me. We're a team. I, I, I'm really being serious now, okay? When we start talking football, our numbers jump off the charts for how many people are watching us at a given time. I had on Dan Plesak today. Now, is that Joey Votto? No. Is that Johnny Bench? No. But it's Dan Plesak, one of the most dialed-in guys that there is in baseball today. Former All-Star, pitched in the big leagues 15 years, incredible personality. I mean, him and Casey might be the best two personalities we've ever had on this show, right? And the numbers start doing this. So... If you're us, are we going to talk about baseball? It's baseball season. There is no football. But every time we try, and Paul and I and Casey have this debate all the time, because I make the argument that nobody cares about baseball. I sincerely mean this. I don't think anybody gives a damn in the grand scheme of things about what's going on in baseball. I don't. It is football, football, football. Yeah, Masters is here. Come and go. NCAA tournament's here. Come and go. Regular season, meaningless. Especially if they're talking about going to 90-something teams in the NCAA. You want to talk about regular season being meaningless. That's what happens if they go to nearly 100 they're, teams they're in the going, NCAA tournament. Well, I hope they don't. Yeah. But here's what I'm saying. Right? Numbers dictate content. Right? So if we're talking about baseball and we've got a guy like Dan Plesak telling the stories that he told for the last 50 minutes and the opinions that he gave on the state of the game and all these kinds of things about pitching 
that people in baseball want to talk about all the time. Are we babying the pitchers? Are we doing this? Blah, 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 blah. Right? So what are we supposed to do? Well, one thing. I'm being serious when I ask this. You know I am. Yeah, I know. One thing, too, is I don't know if the chat realizes it yet, but this is the first year that we've done this. Like, this is the, like, you know, this is still. That's right. Brand still new. one year into this thing. So we're not quite in the algorithm for basketball yeah, the only thing, and yeah. for baseball. We hit it really well with football, and the numbers would suggest that. But the only way that we can get more people in the chat and to get more people to care about baseball is if you like the show, share the show, do everything you can to, to help us out in promoting the show. We want to try to make this, this show the most watched baseball show, at least in Cincinnati. I think that was initially our, our target. We thought maybe we had hit it pretty well with football just because football is king. But inevitably we knew that we have the at least the roster here around us maybe not me but the roster with with tracy trace tom paul reed baseball guys that well that's our that is really the the strength of our our roster here at least in, in terms of what they care about the most so if you can help us grow the show, get more people to watch it so we can talk about baseball more often. We can talk about the other sports more often. We appreciate all the help and support. Yes. And plus, I just want to say one thing. The people that are in the chat are diehard fans. Like I noticed, like Sir Boy, Everett, um, player known as Mouse Cop. Brian, uh, all of them down the road. Right, right. You, you are here because you, you like us, but I think you also love baseball, too. Like, some of uh, the people in our chat are diehard baseball fans, and I think that can't be understated. You know, I think, I think the people that are in our chat, I mean, we stayed consistently at our numbers today. I mean, Dan Plesak was great. I mean, I really hope that, you know, when we post that later on today, that it does better on, on YouTube. Yes afterwards but if we're just being if we're doing the the one-on-one thing with our with our audience here um you know the only way that we can grow is if we all do this together and we're going to try our best to not kill you all with with football talk but it is all year round um we did get through most of the day without talking about it and i think that is somewhat of an accomplishment for us and i think we're going to try to keep doing that um you know, as baseball goes through, I mean, there's going to be a lot to talk about um, coming up football related because we have the draft. Yep. But after that, and you're just waiting on spring training and whatnot. And yeah. we're going to have baseball. And yeah, I we're mean, we're going to have soccer. And, mm, yeah, mm, go ahead. <laughs> uh, NBA playoffs coming up. So mm. we'll have stuff to talk about. We'll have stuff to. I, yeah. I, I think the easiest way to say it is that this show has been built on football for seven months, and now yes. we're finally getting into into baseball, and it's the first time that we've really committed to baseball here since we picked up baseball when the Reds were already out of contention last year. The Bengals season was just starting. It's been a football show for eight months, but now that you're 
uh, evolving into everything else, the, the numbers and the videos and everything else will will uh, bear that out. So we'll be fine. We'll be good. It's just you're kind of expanding into a new audience here as baseball begins its run in the yes. 2023 season. Yes. And, sir, boy, I have not learned the whole Reds roster. I might know the first five pitchers. The first that's, five, a, that's a mic. That's a mic. That's, a that's the starting rotation. Uh, if you can name me the five Reds starting pitchers right now, I'll give you money for lunch today. Here we go. Uh, Who's the ace? Don't look them up. Who's the ace? Well, I know we have Green, Lodolo. No, no, no. Ashcraft. I want the first and last name. Oh, uh, Hunter Green. Yeah. Nick Lodolo. Yeah. Graham Ashcraft. There yeah. we go. Then we got two more. One of them started last night. We've I, talked I about said it. the other guy's name. I know Sessa, right? What? What's, it, what's his it, first name? I don't remember Sessa's first oh. name. It starts with an L. Louis? Louis? Good enough. All right. I'll take Louis. We'll All take right, Louis we for an more. answer. One more. One uh, more. Extremely American name. Extremely American name. Mm. Starts with a C. Started last night. Not last night. Sorry, two nights ago. Two nights ago. All right, let it go. We're getting close to <sighs> the time. It's all right. He had a chance to have his Connor Overton. Paid Connor for today. Overton. it. I was going to. Overton, I thought, was a, a backup, honestly, because of how bad everyone talks about Overton. But, okay. Oh, well. All right. Um, okay, do we have a cherry on top today? We do, and it's from wow. the Reds. It's what? It's from the Reds. Oh, I know where this is going without even looking. Yeah. It, it, did you see this? I, I saw about it. Oh, okay, so, so go ahead. Funny. So this is a picture from Sam Green, who's a fantastic photographer for Cincinnati.com. So this is a catch being made right along the right field wall. I think it's Will Benson out there. This female fan. Just not impressed. Hey, she's allowed to be sitting in no a baseball reaction. game on a beautiful night, which it was last night. Just tune out. That's a heck of a catch, though. Heck of a catch. I hope the kid can start to hit because everybody says that he's a really good kid. But I have to tell you, and, and I've said this a, a thousand times before, the Cleveland Guardians are not a team that just all of a sudden decides to get rid of former number one draft picks. They're not that kind of team. They have a very low payroll. They don't spend a ton of money. They want to develop their own guys. And when all of a sudden, they're like, all right, we're letting this guy go. To me, that's antenna stuff. I hope he proves him wrong. Because, boy, is he blessed with uh, some athleticism. Getting a lot of reactions to your comment, Casey, about soccer. But you know what? Again, that's something, and I say this now sincerely, that's something that I'm going to have to, you know, grow with a little bit here. I played soccer. I love soccer. I played in high school. But now we have to embrace FC Cincinnati. I'm and look, they're a team. If you had to bet right now, before this will be the last thing we talk about today, simple answer, one team or the other. And I'm taking the Reds out of the mix, all right? Just take them out. What happens first? FC Cincinnati wins a title or the Cincinnati Bengals win a title? Uh, I mean, the whole thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Bengals just because of what's currently happening with 
FC's current best players, like potentially leaving the team to go up to higher leagues. Um, that I'm worried about FC just because of the the, the talent that we'd be losing. Um, All right, so you say the Bengals. Yeah, I'll, Paul. I'll go Bengals. Yeah, I'd go with the Bengals too. I think so. I think the Bengals are in a really good spot now, and I think the Bengals could win the Super Bowl next year, and that leaves one opportunity for FC this year. Do they win it? Do they sustain the I success? Do. They're one I of the best think, teams in the league right now, if not yeah. the best. I do think this is FC's year if they can manage to keep everyone through the whole year, that they could they, they could win it. But that was what we said about the Bengals last year, and we all know how hard it is to win a championship. So it'll be tough, but I'm, I'm rooting for the orange and blue. Top of the table, Tom. Top of the table. Top of the table. Okay. All right. Um, okay, tomorrow, Steve Flesh, right, won 11 pro uh, tournament events, finished in the top five of the Masters in his career. He's going to join us here tomorrow to talk about the start of the 2023 version of the Masters, where BLP <laughs> is going to be on Friday, Big League Paul. His new nickname, Big Ligger, Big League Paul. Uh, so Steve Flesh will join us tomorrow. Tracy Jones, we hope, is back in the house tomorrow. Uh, and we're going to continue. We'll wait and see if it's more tomorrow or Friday where we're going to continue uh, a look at each team around the NFL leading up to the draft in about uh, three weeks, a little more than three weeks from now in Kansas City. I miss anything there? No. All I right. think you hit it all. Okay. All right. Uh, Casey, thank you. Paul, thank you. We thank all of you, and I sincerely mean that. For those of you that are with us here all the time, we can't thank you enough. Really cannot thank you enough. Please continue to come back tomorrow, and have a great rest of your Wednesday from Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We'll see you tomorrow.